0: Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Well, this morning... I want to continue on in our series on Generation Influence, and this is uh, the fifth in the series. And I'm going to go through some things in regards to millennials, because we're at that generation. How many millennials do we have here? This is like, we, got, we have a few, probably 24 to 39, somewhere in that category, age-wise. It's a incredible group of people that God loves, of course. But I want to throw out a few things here in a moment about that, and then I want to take us into... What my main focus is this morning and take us into some scriptures, and I need to move fairly quickly this morning, so I have a lot to cover, so bear with me as we do that. But I really feel like God's given me something to share this morning that will really help us in our walk with the Lord, especially when we're dealing with things that just seem to come at us or hang on to our lives, maybe from previous generations. And uh, So I want to ask some questions this morning, and hopefully we'll cover those and get some answers Lord, I pray this morning as we dive into your word here in a few moments, God, that you would reveal to us what it is that we need to hear, each one of us individually this morning, that we can grab something to say, you know what, that's for me. I needed that. I needed to get over this hurdle, all right? I need that to take that next step or to break free or break loose in an area in my life. And so, Lord, I I pray again your blessing and, and your anointing on our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the title of my message is, What Are You Transferring? What Are You Transferring? And so we're going to get to that in a few moments. Millennials, or Generation Y, I think, not the word W-H-Y, but just the letter Y. Generation Y is also something that's given. I realize that all of my kids are in this category. All four of my children, our children, are, are this generation, the millennials. So I understand them a little bit and having a lot of conversations with my kids and kind of getting a perspective on this. It's interesting, though, Pew Research did some survey and stuff, and they found that young adults, basically in their early 20s to late 20s category, if they had a Christian background, 60% of them have stopped going to church. And then only 20% believe that church is even relevant or important in their life. So we're at this place of going, okay, Lord, what... You know, what is this thing that they're pulling back from their Christian roots and Christian beliefs or discovering that coming together as a church is different? And I think there's some things that probably shape that and mold that and, and give us reasons why, which I'm not going to go into all that today, but it's interesting food for thought as I kind of studied that out. Millennials have grown up being advertised to more than any group ever in the history of generations. And so they're targeted, and there's a lot of things that come. There's a lot of advertisements. There's a, they have more choices for products and services and things that they can do and be a part of than any time ever. So there's stuff constantly coming at them. And so there's ways to buy, rent, to sell. Uh, there's multiple hundreds and hundreds of channels you know, on television. All this stuff has just kind of opened this whole door up for so many things. I just remember when I grew up, there's maybe like, what, eight or 10 channels on TV. And so now it's just hundreds. And it's incredible. And just the constant flood of things that come to us. So these changes that come, they set new rules for marketing and sales and all of that. So everybody's trying to figure out how to market, how to sell to the millennials. Because the reality is they're the fastest growing generation in the world. There's 83 and a half million millennials in the United States. And so it's the largest group, and so it's targeted heavily, the millennials. And so they're the ones that we're finding that's the group that is getting their college degrees, and they're, they're investing into their future. Now, with that comes a lot of debt because it, you create debt most of the time when you're going to college unless you've had scholarships or different things like that. But, so it puts on a burden, but there's also the information that says that these millennials, they're going after things, they're producing, and so they create a lot more income so that creates, then, a lot more drive to get that generation to buy whatever somebody's trying to sell. They're most diverse generation. And so we understand they also have $1.3 billion in college debt, which is, kind of goes with that whole thing. But statistics, they're saying, well, that's, their income's going to help, and it'll continue to grow, and spending will continue to happen. And so they believe that those debts, obviously, will eventually will be taken care of, but it's just an increase in earnings and stuff that happens for that. And also, the average first-time homebuyer in that age group has gone up because they're taking more time. They're taking more time to get married. They're taking more time to buy a car or to buy a house because they're trying to situate themselves and plan for their future. So we're seeing that happen, too, increases in that regard. And uh, it's important, I think, to note, too, that major purchases are driven by decisions to make whether marriage or have kids or not have kids. And it seems like the generations now are waiting longer to have kids and maybe even having less kids because they're thinking more about how is this going to work, can we afford to do this, and so forth. And so they need more time to kind of reach those decisions and figure that out. They'll still buy cars and homes, but they wait a little bit longer generally to do that. Uh, Millennials have the greatest lifetime value of any customer in the marketplace. Again, the marketers are going after them, and there's a value. They feel like this is a long value that's worth investing into. They also have the least established loyalty as customers in the sense that they take a long time to figure out who they're going to be loyal to, but once they find that, they're pretty loyal, for the most part. They like something, they'll grab a hold of something, and they're like, "That's, that's what I like. It's like, I think, for myself, there are certain brands, it's like, okay, that works. And that doesn't. And so there's things that maybe each person grabs a hold of and likes. Also, they they love to refer their friends. If they have a great shopping experience or buying experience, they'll tell somebody about it. And most importantly, to salespeople, marketers, and innovators, the millennials, they communicate, they shop, and they buy differently than previous generations. So how they do things is so different. And so that's why traditional sales and marketing stuff Don't work with millennials. So there's a lot of adjustments. You're seeing it every day. They're trying to adjust to keep up with this thing. It's interesting because this last Wednesday, we were at the city of Lacey, the chamber luncheon, and uh, the city manager was doing his state of the city address. So he's talking about Lacey in specifics, uh, talking some history what has gone, and then talking about future with Lacey. And he happened to mention, saying, hey, there's brick-and-mortar businesses that are closing, and it's hard to get brick-and-mortar businesses that come in to the area because the buying habits are changing. A lot of people are buying online. And so a lot of that is changing. And the industries that are still doing well is like restaurants, things that experience that people go out and experience it, entertainment, that kind of a thing. Grocery stores are even now having a little bit more time getting customers in the door, believe it or not, because people are actually buying online and having it delivered to their house, or drive up to the store and they bring it out to them. And so it's taking away of some of that impulse shopping. People, when you go to the grocery store, especially if you're hungry, right, it's like you're just kind of grabbing everything. So there's a lot of changes and adjustments that are having to be made. It's interesting for Lacey, if you drive out to northeast part of Lacey, there's humongous warehouses out there that are huge and they're building more. And what the purpose is that they're building to mostly ship to people. They'll do some to the stores, but they are distribution centers, so they can distribute. It's just Amazon actually owns one of the ones out here, and so you've got other things going on. So there's a lot of stuff changing all the time. Another thing with millennials, they don't carry much cash. Uh, Some of you may, some not, but usually there's other ways to pay. There's just all kinds of ways that you pay for things. Some of them live at home longer in order to save up and get a good start on their own. I know a couple of our kids did that as well. They're primarily visual buyers and learners, and that's how they, they learn, that's how they buy. The other thing is they communicate a little bit differently nowadays than previous generations, and if you look at millennials, how they prefer to communicate, it's kind of in this order that we have on the screen here. First of all, texting, and there's many ways, instant message, apps, WhatsApp, and all the different things, that that's the main way of communicating for millennials. The next thing they'll do is they'll do an email, and usually just the subject line is the important information, and that they don't like to go into a lot of details. Then they'll do the social media thing, then a phone call, and last but not least kind of an in-person thing. Now, this isn't everybody, but this is kind of the, the trend, and so it's interesting to see how they choose to communicate. There's another group of millennials that's not seen as the good group of millennials in the sense that they haven't really done good to create good traction in the world or in the United States. And this group is probably the one that you hear about the most in the sense, and and they're the ones who feel entitled. And so what they do is they live at home, they let mom or dad pay their cell phone bill and everything else, and they have no ambition to do anything but just kind of hang out and the one group that's offended most by these are the ones who are not entitled, the millennials who are not. are saying, come on, we're out there working hard, and you guys are giving us a bad name. So it's interesting that that kind of exists out there, too. Here's another bit of information. Now, this is something for me, because I kind of have come into fallen into this category, too, but millennials hardly ever go to the bank. 72% of them have an app on their phone for all their financial stuff. And honestly, I do too. I just, I kind of gravitated toward that way. But that's kind of a, a, a typical thing that you see with millennials and probably even younger groups, which we'll, which we'll talk about in later Sunday. I just want to run through really quick some positive characteristics of millennials in alphabetical order. Adventurous, ambitious, confident, conscious, collaborative, educated, idealistic, independent, motivated, open-minded, passionate, polite, problem-solving, And tech savvy, maybe not all tech savvy, but they're all tech users for sure. These are just some things, and again, not all of these apply to every person, but that's kind of in general sort of what we see. Another thing that I thought was interesting that we see is they are the generation that gives most to charity. 70%, and we're talking whether it's their money, their time, or their talent, 70% of millennials do something for charity. They volunteer in some capacity And I thought that was a pretty good statistic and seeing that that will really help continue in what we're doing and where we're going and teaching other generations as well. So that was kind of my quick run through on the millennials. And so I believe it's a very influential group and that God has a plan and a purpose for for millennials. And this is a season in their life that either they're still single or they're young, married with young kids. And it's just a category where I, I want to kind of Go into this next part here today because it's a time, a very, very important time of influence in this generation and the millennials and the generation that follows. And then I want to widen that today to include every generation in the fact that what I'm going to talk about this morning absolutely applies and fits to every generation. Generation influence. So here's some questions I'm going to throw out. I'm not looking for answers right now because I hope to answer these and we can talk more about it if you want. But here's the questions that I'm thinking. What does the Bible say about the effects of one generation on the next? Good question. Are we living under a curse? Why or why not? What did Jesus do to radically alter our future? Good question. And what are you passing on to the next generation? So I'm going to try to cover these this morning in a short period of time all of us carry the dna of our parents that's a fact we have physical dna but we also have spiritual dna and it's so important for us to understand that these lead to generational consequences both physical and spiritual dna cuz sometimes in the physical we could because of the genes of our parents or grandparents whatever there's we have a propensity maybe to get a certain disease and there's consequences that can come, I think there's good consequences too of things that there's good things that can come to us and not so good things that come to us. But these are patterns of behavior too as well. And and we see that and we pick that up in the spiritual side of things. Negative DNA can create scars. They can create wounds and, and they are transferred often unknowingly to our children. And it's just something that we have inherited or we've done that's negative, and it just gets transferred. And it's not that we purposely do that or knowingly do it. It happens because we're really unaware of what we need to be doing to change that or stop that. And we pick this up across all the generations, and we're seeing that they create patterns. You have patterns of alcohol, divorce, poverty, laziness, abuse, pornography, all of these things that can be negative patterns that can flow through generations. So we see this happening. I want us to look at its scripture in Psalm 145, verse 4. And this is so key to us and for us, and it's so important as believers this morning. It says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Talking about God. Let them proclaim your power. Is this happening today in your generation Are you proclaiming the mighty acts of God? Are you proclaiming the power of God? Is that what you're transferring to the next generation? One generation will praise God's name to the next generation. Because we really could honestly be only one generation away from totally dismissing Christianity and God and all of that if a generation decided, I'm not passing that on. But our responsibility is to tell our children of the mighty acts of God. And to proclaim his power. I think of in my own family, in my dad's side of the family, that divorce was commonplace in my dad's side of his family if you look back generations. And I think about that and think about what my dad, when he made a decision when he married my mom, which thank you for doing that, by the way. um, (laughs) That was a good choice. They made a decision that we're going to break whatever this thing is that has had attachment to our family over these years and make a commitment and a covenant to God. We're not going to, we're going to stop this thing. And so they begin to speak about the goodness of God and the power of God and the presence of God and God's faithfulness. And thank the Lord they're married 60 some years, how many years? 63 years already, just getting started. Yeah, so, you know, that's, that's good. Praise the Lord. You know, and they have, through challenges and tough times and all of these things, and my dad could have used every excuse in the book, you know, that why it wouldn't have worked for him as well. But I think he got a hold of something. My parents got a hold of something that God, in his word, and we're going to talk about in a moment, that I believe is a secret to what they discovered. And we know there are those people who have walked away from the mercy of God. They've simply walked away from God. And what an incredible difference it makes when we walk away from God. It drastically alters the next generation, their life. Man, it's like ripping away some incredible future when we do that. We don't really understand because we think about ourselves so many times and we don't think about God's view of the generations. You know, I think about this, the statement that a lot of people make when they're doing something that would be considered very bad to their body or sinful or whatever, they would make a statement. Well, it's my body, I can do whatever I want. Well, yeah, there's truth to that. But I'll tell you this, once you make a decision to get married and have children and multiply, that goes away. There is so much that can happen, there's so much ramifications that come when you introduce your DNA into the next generation. You know, what happens in the generations before us, they demonstrate things that are negative. It gets demonstrated, then it gets transferred. Yeah. But here's the thing. You can choose whether or not that sticks to you. Yes. That's right. You have a choice. Yes. And many people don't. They just say, well, that's what I've been given. That's what my dad or that's what my mom did. And, and that's kind of who I am. And that's why I'm that way. Here's a verse I want to take a look at. Jesus addresses this just a little bit. In John chapter 5, starting in verse 2, it says, Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been there for a long time, and Jesus could have passed him many times. We don't know. It doesn't say, but probably. He asked him, he, and he asked him this question, would you like to get well? See, so it's a question that I believe that we should ask ourselves as we are going through life is, do I want to get out of this? Yeah. Or do I want this, to, is this a crutch for me? Or do I really want what God has for me? Do I really want to be free of this? So, yeah. so God, Jesus is asking him, do you want to get well? And it's interesting, because the first thing he does, he has an excuse. I can't, sir. The sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool, and when the water bubbles up, someone else always gets there ahead of me. Basically, Jesus said, are you willing to be made whole? Are you going to continue to sulk in whatever situation you're in and allow your circumstances just to be, well, that's how it is, and that's the way it's going to be? Or do you want to be made whole? Are you willing? Can you jump in and do this? Basically, Jesus was saying, when you're ready to stop making excuses... (laughs) let me know. And I think so many times we're making excuses for ourselves as to why we're the way we are or why your family's the way it is. And I think God's coming today to say, come on, I came, I broke those things. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But because you don't realize that Jesus won't force anything on any of us. He won't. He'll come, he'll ask us questions, and he'll say, I'm here. Just let me know when you're ready. Let me know when you're ready. And I will be there for you, and I will take care of that situation for you. But he didn't force the situation. This man ends, man ends up getting healed, obviously, and he, and he runs into him later in the synagogue, which was a good place for him to go. And then he told him again, he goes, man, you gotta stop sinning. Get yourself on path here. So he kind of encouraged him again. So here we have this. So Don't allow the enemy to hold you down yeah. or hold you back. So many things that we do He'll beat us down to nothing if we let him. He'll come and he just tries to rattle our cage and do everything he can just to grind us to nothing. He'll tell you that's your parents' fault. You just have to live with it. There's nothing you can do. No, you don't. Yes, yes. Jesus radically changed how we can live. He came in such a way, he radically changed your status you are no longer under that old covenant, old law. You're under something new. Romans 5, 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered in the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God As Adam did, now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. There is such a difference between what Adam did and what he went through, and the death and all that. Yeah, there was consequences. There was things that happened. But how much greater impact and influence did Jesus have when he came and said grace, forgiveness? These things are for every one of us, and he came to deliver us. See, death is what we inherited because of one man's sin. We understand that. But we, 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 you and I, we are the ones who make decisions to repeat generational sins. It's our decision that we do that. Jesus isn't saying, Well, I'm sorry, you know, you got to just buck up and live with that. No. Adam had the option to stop Eve. He did it. He came to him and he had the option. The sin was on him because he had the responsibility to cover and protect his wife and he didn't. It was on him. That was his responsibility. He didn't do it. And so God confronted him. (laughs) It's interesting how that goes. Adam, and it's like, first thing, what's he do? It's the woman. It, it's the woman who made me sin. And then, and then, oh, Eve, what's going on? It was a serpent. So there's always this point to somewhere else, pointing to somewhere else, something else. It was a serpent. He deceived me. Kind of funny. The other day, I was here at the church and I found Rameza's checkbook. So I texted Chris and I said, hey, found your checkbook. And uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to throw him under the bus or anything because this is probably what happened. He said, oh, it was probably my wife who left it at the church. And I said, well, that's what Adam said. (laughs) I texted him back. That's what Adam said about his wife. It was the woman. (laughs) So he had a little bit of a chuckle about that. But uh, interesting. So (laughs) you're you're not a millennial. (laughs) Nice try. So here's a note. In Genesis 3.14, we see then that God did put a curse. I I don't want to have time to go into all this stuff about the curse. We'll talk a little bit about it. But God put a curse on the devil. That was the first thing that happened. God's like, okay, serpent, you're cursed. I put a curse on you. It's interesting because he didn't curse Adam and Eve. He cursed the serpent, and he ended up cursing the ground as well. It's interesting how that, now he did, in the next generation, Cain, he did get a curse put on him, but it's interesting because what God did, he created Adam and Eve in his image. And so although they suffered consequences for their disobedience, they definitely did that. And so in verse 17, Genesis 3, this is where God cursed the ground because Adam listened to his wife and disobeyed. And so in the curse, interesting though, if you read through, the curse was broken for the ground when Noah stepped out of the ark. It's interesting. I've read that many times and I just, I came across that this week when I was reading and I had to read it a couple times. The ground, God said, I'll never curse the ground again. It's interesting. He says, "I will never again curse the ground because of the human race," and he has a little sense of humor, I think. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, but it's interesting. So he lifts the curse from the ground. Now, the cross broke Satan's authority. This is important for us to know. This he still does have power, and the Bible tells us that that Satan does have power, but he has no authority. He tries to do everything he can, but it's all up to us whether we let him in or not. We have the authority given to us by Christ to put him under our feet and crush him. So we need to know a little bit about the word and know how to use it, that we have authority over him. Anything Satan tries to do to you or say to you is illegitimate. It has no value. There's nothing legitimate about it at all. And so what does he do? He has to scheme to try to get into your head, which some of us know, we kind of get in that place where he gets in there. But he, what he does is he tries to make his thoughts our thoughts. Yes. Now it's interesting because the Bible talks about God's thoughts and how greater they are than ours and his ways are greater. But we need to be more about God's thoughts. Satan, his thoughts are meaningless. They have no value. There's no authority there. Yes. So we need to understand that. How about looking in Romans chapter 12, verse 2? Do not be conformed to this world. Basically, anything around you. Don't be conformed to the generation, the influences that come, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here's the good part right here. That by testing. Man, we're going through tests. It's testing us. But that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and is perfect. Don't conform your mind... And your character to another person's pattern out there. Don't do it. There's a pattern that we see that's not good, it's not healthy. Don't conform to that. Don't fall in line to that. There's a pattern that Jesus Christ set for us. Man, Satan will do everything he can to make us bear the consequences of our previous generations. He wants to dump that, he wants to keep us under that thing. He wants us to keep us buried in that thing. There's previous mistakes made by generations that he just wants to come and dump them on us. Why? (laughs) Because he wants to destroy us. Come on, we've been made more than conquerors through Christ. We got to walk in that. We got to speak that. Jesus broke the curse of the law so that we would be made free. Come on, we got to walk in it. We got to live in that freedom. He broke the curse when he went to the cross. That curse is broken. Galatians 3.13, I don't know if it's on the screen, but it says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. It's Bible, it's right there. He's done it. If you're a believer and if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has rescued you. He broke that curse. Come on, somebody needs to say hallelujah. Hallelujah. When he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. (laughs) He did this. For it's written in the scripture, curses everyone who is hung on a tree. He took on the curse. He took it in his body and he broke it. Whatever that curse was that happened in previous generations, it's been broken by Jesus Christ. Now the law, which is important, cannot fix us. Yes. The law is there as a guide and a gauge. You know, it tells us maybe what we've done wrong. And the law can enforce punishment or there's consequences from that, but it can't fix us. The law can't do that. Satan uses this broken law to try to put this curse on us. And we have to say, enough's enough. Not anymore. Not in this generation. Whatever generation you are, man, come on. It's time to stop this thing that people keep thinking that it's just part of who I am because it was passed down to me or transferred to me. Come on, let's go back to the cross and look what Jesus did. And let's... Declare that to be truth and what it is. God knew that. He sent his son to take upon himself all the curses of sin on the cross. I can't tell you that enough. This is a generation that must appropriate what Jesus did on the cross and begin to stand up, begin to stand up against Satan and tell him he's defeated by Jesus at the cross. And you have no authority in my life. Come on, that's good. We need to do that. If you have to do it 100 times a day, do it. Because yes, yes. pretty soon he's going to start running with this tail between his legs because he's like, man, this Christian actually believes something. He believes the word. Yeah, you know, crazy. he'll continue to come at you as long as you let him come at him. But man, you start declaring scripture and you start telling the enemy what this stuff says. You are not under a curse. I'm telling you today, you are not under a curse. If you think that, come on, it's time to go to the cross. And see what it says. And there's a tendency to blame every sin on a generational curse. Yeah. There's a tendency to do that. You know, I'm going to tell you, that's not biblical. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> when you and I accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we inherited what Jesus did on the cross. Yeah. Yeah. It broke that curse. Yeah. Whatever that is, because sometimes I know people just try to dive into your life, and I understand that. There's things that we need to be healed of. There's hurts and wounds But we can't stand here and say, well, I'm cursed today because of. No, we're set free today because of Jesus Christ. Come on, that's what we need to be saying. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. This curse was broken. The sin was broken. So now, if we sin, it's because we choose to, not because we're under a curse. We do. We choose to sin. We're all sinners saved by grace. We sin. We sin. (laughs) <laughs> it's a good thing that we have a, a Lord and Savior that comes and says, hey, just come to me. Ask me forgiveness. I will grant forgiveness. And that's the kind of God he is. The cure for curse has always been repentance. Yes, sir. That's the cure for a curse, repentance. Lord, I, I'm, I don't know, God. I can't do this. And I know I've done this. And I, I recognize that I've perpetuated this sin. And I, I understand that probably something happened with, in, in generations before. But God... I'm just coming to you and I repent for whatever yes. I'm doing. God, I want to turn away from this, whatever it is. God's mercy lasts a thousand times longer than his wrath. And yes. you think about his wrath because it's true and it's right. And we read it in the Bible where there's a wrath that God says, man, I, my wrath's coming. If, and so we think about how mean God is. But the reality, he's warning, he's saying, come on, my wrath is coming. And we're here facing this because we're living a, a life that's sinful, and it's God is is not pleased with it. But the moment we go like this, and we walk out from under the wrath, which is real and can happen, we walk under the mercy over here, and it's the same God that spoke wrath, but this God over here is saying, man, yeah, my mercy and grace is for you because you are coming to me. You're asking me, and I'm embracing you, and I want to give that to you. You just come in with a repentant heart and ask forgiveness. Man, it's yours. It's yours. It's the same God, but the camp he loves to be in is this camp of loving on us and letting us know that his grace and his mercy is there for us. But the reality is, if we don't turn from our wicked ways and evil, there is a wrath. There is that something that's in the Bible. We understand that. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Come on now, because so many people feel they're condemned. They're under condemnation. If you belong to Jesus Christ, there's no longer condemnation on you. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Come on. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Like I said earlier, it can't fix you. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. Yes. And in that body, God declared an end Amen. to sin's control over Amen. us by giving Hallelujah. his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Yes. Come on now. you got to buy into this thing. you got to believe it. you got to walk it. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. On, we could be Woo. spirit followers. Before salvation, we're under his wrath. After salvation, we're under his mercy. Thank you for your mercy, God. You are a merciful God. Thank you, Jesus. That's something we need to be thanking him for. Absolutely. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 15. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. No longer. longer. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Come on, we need to be living for Jesus. So we stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At that time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How different we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Come on, say this with me. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Yeah. Yeah, your old life is gone. Don't live in that anymore. Don't live under that. Whatever that is, come on, you have a new life. It's begun, and maybe it starts today for you. Maybe you've just felt like you've been in a funk and you don't understand all these yes, things, but yes. we need to walk in his word. Come on, he has something good for you yeah. today. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. I'm throwing a lot of scripture at us today, but I'll tell you what, this answers a lot of questions. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Yes. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. Again, we see it. Another angle to this thing, where the Scripture takes us. Come on, we need to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. We'd be walking in that. We need to know that that old person that we once were is gone, is dead, and, yeah, and we are yeah. walking in the Spirit now. Amen. These two forces, they're, the Bible, this, we just read it, they're constantly fighting, yeah. constantly fighting. So, which one do you want to be a part of? W- which one's going to win? It's yeah. the Spirit. Jesus. It's not the flesh, it's the yeah. Spirit. Yeah. You know that there's, and I don't mean to digress here, but there's times where we need to fast. Whatever it is that our, because sometimes our flesh takes over and our flesh wants to do things. And I tell you, one of the things that fasting does, because it's not always a fun thing to do, but what it does is it allows the spirit to take back control of the flesh. And we tell our flesh, no, you're not getting that. Whatever it is you're fasting from, it could be a lot of things. You're not getting that. I'm getting in line with the Holy Spirit right now, and I'm allowing him to consume me and to fill me so that I can go out and not be tempted. To go back into that. You know, it's an interesting thing, and I thought of this the other day, because when temptation calls you back, and maybe there was a propensity in your life, and let's just use example like pornography, because I know that that's always been rampant from day one, and it still is today, and it has destroyed many lives. I've talked to many people, and it's ruined marriages, and it ruins relationships, and it, it's a destructive force, and so I felt like the Holy Spirit dropped in my thought process, and, and this applies to probably any of these areas, but I want to pick this one in particular, pornography. The next time you go to your computer, to whatever it is you do, and you start to click on something, this is what I want you to do. (laughs) I want you to put worship music on. The moment you put worship music on your phone or whatever, and you try to see if you can actually do that with a heart that feels okay about it, you're going to have so much conviction. And I'm guessing you're not going to go through with that. I'm just giving you an antidote because worship is an incredible thing. And I find myself so many times when I get into a place where I'm just like, man, God, I don't know what to do. And, and it's like, gee, because I'm doing all this and it's like, man, put on some worship music, Steve. That You know, that does incredible yeah, things. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit comes and he, he reminds us, yes. hey, I love you. I have a great plan for you. And my presence is amazing. This As the worship team comes, this is the last scripture. I know I've said a lot today, but I really, really wanted us to get this into our spirit, yeah. that we're not living under a curse. We're living under the freedom of the cross. Ezekiel 33, last scripture, starting in verse 12. Son of man, give your people this message. The righteous behavior of righteous people will not save them if they turn to sin, nor will the wicked behavior of wicked people destroy them if they repent and turn from their sins. When I tell righteous people that they will live, but then they sin, expecting their past righteousness to save them, then none of their righteousness acts will be remembered. I will destroy them for their sins. And suppose I tell some wicked people that they will surely die, but then they turn from their sins and do what is just and right. For instance, they might give back a debt or security, return what they have stolen, and obey my life-giving laws, no longer doing what is evil. If they do this, then they will surely live and not die. None of their past sins will be brought up again. For they have done what is just and right, and they will surely live. And that's a promise given to us. Just turn from those things. Embrace God and his goodness. And man, he gives you a fresh start. He gives you new life. And he says what? I'm not going to remember or hold any of those things against you. We're the ones that hold them, and we're the ones that bring them up. The enemy constantly reminded us of of all those bad things. And God said, no, come on, I came, I forgave you. And in fact, I don't remember those and I'm not ever gonna bring them up again. So let's stop bringing them up. (laughs) Because they're gone and they've been taken care of. Reversal of consequences. We turn from wrath to his mercy and embrace him for that. Because we were freed when he went to the cross for our sins. Amen, let's stand this morning and let's worship him as we sing this song. If you're here this morning and I wanna do this, I'll open the altars up, you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I need to put my foot down. I need to declare that whatever thing that has happened in my previous generations in my life, that the influences, whatever those were, that have been a negative impact on me, I wanna come and I wanna declare and I wanna tell the enemy, But those things have been broken at the cross. They no longer are valid. They've they've been wiped out. And and sometimes we need to do things like that. Take that step of faith and come and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. And and put your foot down and say, enemy, no more. Because God has a great plan and a purpose for all of our lives here today. So as we sing this song and you feel you want to do that, or if you need prayer for anything, we want to pray for you this morning. But I just believe that this morning that God wanted me to encourage this generation and that's everybody in here. Come on, it's time to accept what he did on the cross. It's time to break away from those things that are not part of your life and embrace the goodness of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast.